0: how thankful we are for the leading us in worship and the music and the preparation that goes to that of choosing hymns and uh, that which would bring us to see the truths of God's word we'd ask that you turn afresh to the revelation of Jesus Christ chapter 10 we come back to this place that is a like a an intermission and uh, we will read there these words Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs or his feet were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion when he shouted the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke I was about to write but I heard a voice from heaven say seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel said I had been standing, then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, The mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, and when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is God's word, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do ask for your Holy Spirit to give us understanding this morning, and we would ask for that recommissioning by your almighty voice to Our hearts, O Lord, that we would be those who would be commissioned afresh to take the gospel to many peoples and to nations and to languages and to even kings. We ask now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll look at the title of this message, being a truthful witness. And of course, as we come to this passage, here is the book that we have. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the very title of the book. That's what it's all about. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the great revelation that God gave of Jesus Christ. His power and his glory shines from Revelation one one to Revelation 22.21. That's what the whole book is revealing to us. His power and his glory. And as you begin to read the very first words of the book, it speaks of the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all God's people. And so just in an introductory way, I want to refresh your minds this morning that this book is for all of us all people down through the ages. It's an amazing thing, even as it speaks to those churches in chapters 2 and 3. Those are churches that represent different churches in different parts of the world and different ages of the world. And the word of God comes and speaks to us all. And it reveals to us Jesus Christ. That's what we need And there's a beautiful sense in which it brings together all the the wonder and all the passages of the Old Testament and it comes together to show us that it was about Jesus Christ and his accomplishing God's purposes. Yes, the scripture says there, happy or blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. So as you remember, the one who was worthy, they couldn't find anyone worthy in chapter 5 to take and open the scroll. No one was able to accomplish what needed to take place. Who was worthy? Who was able? And there we have the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We have the Lamb of God. He is the one who is worthy. And he opens the scroll. And so this is that which is for us all people. It's even good for us to remember remember that as we begin to read this book, that God's people were being prepared all the way back. They were being called. Do you know, even Abraham was a Gentile. What? That's right. He was called out of Ur the Chaldees. He was a moon worshiper. That whole group. And they were called. He was called... And God, yes, did that work of grace in his heart. And we are children of Abraham that we believe by faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. So we come to this, and I would remind you how important it is to come to this, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and make this a book of blessing. I do believe one of the things that's happened is it has become a book of fighting about, debating. And I mention this because we have had all the charts that people get so committed to, and they can't even understand and enjoy the book because they've got a chart. They've got to fulfill somehow or another. Where does it fit together? And I would ask you to be comforted by reading the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is good news Yes, it's not a book that tells you about every question or the curiosity that may be in your, your mind, and how will this happen, and what's about this, and all these questions. It is really the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6, he says, this apostolic saying we need to keep in mind, he says, do not go beyond what is written. But I want to know. Careful. And then, as introduction, I would just remind you that chapter 10 is what we have as an interlude between the sixth and seventh seals. Here is a recommissioning of John the Apostle, a recommissioning of the church, God's people, to tell the message of God. Now, as we go through the chapter, very quickly, I would just give you three words that would help you kind of see what we're going to cover in this chapter 10 of the book of Revelation. First, just to see something of the majesty of the mighty messenger. And then, as we come through the passage, what is the message of the mighty messenger? And then, I had to find one more must And it is in verse 11. One more M. Must. What is the must of the mighty messenger? So that you can remember this as we go through. We begin with this one who is set forth to us. Now, the majesty of the mighty messenger. Some say this angel of the Lord is just another angel that's extraordinary. Others would see here one who is, yes, identified with Revelation chapter 1, one who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, yes, the angel of the Lord that we have all through the Old Testament, the most important person through the whole of the Old Testament. He is sent by God, he's the messenger, he's the angel, but at the same time he is Jehovah himself. So there is something extraordinary here in this passage. I ask you to decide for yourself is he one who shares and represents and reflects God's and God's glory as he brings the message of God or is he this mighty messenger Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 1 that Verse speaks of one coming down from heaven, robed in a cloud from heaven. Certainly we have God who is seen throughout the whole of the Old Testament as one who is very much pictured in this very way. In fact, he alone is pictured in this extraordinary way. Then notice you have this rainbow above his head. Ezekiel chapter 1. Turn there with me back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1, it has quite a long verse there in verse 28. Speaking there, it says, Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. When we turn to Revelation chapter 1 what do we have but the revelation of Jesus Christ and John says when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead and he is the one who is spoken of there with this rainbow about his head. This what some would translate this halo about him. So as you then look at the word that is spoken of there of a face it's like a face like what like the sun in all its brilliance and certainly there we turn to revelation 115 and it speaks there or revelation 116 of jesus having that face like the brilliance of the sun then we also remember that Matthew chapter 17, wonderful word that is spoken of, of Jesus that is there on the Mount of Transfiguration and that his face, and it's the same phrase in the Greek, his face shone as the brilliance or the brightness of the sun. And then you have the, his feet, or as I think incorrectly the NIV has it, his legs. His feet are like fiery pillars. And certainly Revelation speaks of Christ's feet as being like bronze glowing in a furnace. And uh, there's that element there of, of his, his voice that is spoken of, that he roars like a lion. And certainly there is these seven thunders and our Lord Christ is that lion of the tribe of Judah that he has spoken of. Do you notice his stance that is given in the passage a little later on? It's kind of a, an oppressive sight. Now, if you are one who says, I just believe this is literal, 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 of course, you've got something that's beyond anyone's comprehension. This is one who has one foot at his right leg, his one his right in the, in the sea, and his left is on the land, and then a little later it says his hand is into the sky, and this is one who is, yes, sovereign over all this. We are reminded of this one who is with a stance that has something that I think represents to us the sovereignty of God over all of creation. He is the Lord. We remember that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He is the Lord over all creation. And there is that sense of seeing his right foot on the, in the sea and his left foot in the land and that lion's roar. Certainly there's something there of asking the question, who is he? I would ask you to decide for yourself. Certainly he is the one who is the sent one of God who has come to speak the word of God. It's symbolic, and yet it is more real than all the TV messengers and all the movies that are portraying things and all that you might see as actors in this world. He is the majestic, mighty messenger of God. Don't forget, as he appears... To John in chapter 1, John fell at his feet as dead, but then he says, as he puts his right hand upon John, he says, do not be afraid. His awe and grandeur and greatness but gives us a peace that passes all understanding. He truly is the revelation of God's blessing in all of its fullness. And so we are those who hear those words, do not be afraid. Then secondly, notice, as you go down through this passage, there is the message of the messenger. What does he tell us? Now, he's holding open the scroll. He's holding open the book. In Revelation chapter 5, the book is closed because They're weeping. There's no one found who is able to open it. There's no one found who can carry out and accomplish the purpose of God, the decrees of God, the salvation that God brings. There's no one able to do it. But this one comes forward and he opens the book. So we have in this passage something that is important. But notice also, even in the midst of this passage, he speaks of sealing up something of the judgment. These seven thunders to come. He says, don't write it down. I don't know the full meaning of this. There are many things, as you read through, you have questions about. But I do know that we have a danger, especially in the Christian evangelical community, of being led astray by all kinds of novels, fiction. Uh, If you have a curiosity, someone will fill it with some new idea. A new group will be formed. So there is some things we do not know, but we do know with great clarity that Jesus Christ was the one who was worthy to open that book and to bring salvation to sinners such as we are. It is true. It is the true witness. He is the faithful and true martyr, the faithful and true witness, the marturion. He is the one who is true and faithful In verses 6 and 7 we read that it will be accomplished no more delay when the seventh trumpet sounds the end will come his glorious salvation will be complete and full consummation will take place he will bring to pass God's will now the next thing you notice in this chapter 10 I think is a, a fascinating thing you kind of step back and say all the books that you have, what do you do with them? And he says, eat the book. Now, that'd be a lot of eating for my library. I really would be overwhelmed with, uh, wow, eat the books. So be careful to do everything in a literal way. You might, wow, eating one book would be quite a bit. But he's speaking here as something much deeper than eating a book. It's taking the very word of God, yes, the kingdom of God, the accomplishment of God's great salvation. It's something that is to come inside of us. You read books, you don't eat them, but you read the word of God in such a way that you inwardly digest this. It becomes part of your daily life. It becomes part of who you are and how you live, how you think, how you react to things, how you repent of your sin, how you Make a difference in your family and your children, how you make a difference in how you treat one another. Then, what does he say about this eating? He uses the word sweet as honey. Take and see, the Lord is good. Turn back with me to Jeremiah 15. Those words, again, are very much in line with what we have here. It's a big book, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15 is coming. I believe it's there, verse 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Psalm 119, 103, it speaks of how the word of God is sweeter than honey to my mouth. There is something of being alone with God and the sweetness of having that word of God come inside us, our way of thinking and our enjoyment of the sweetness of God's word. It's daily that we are those who need to come and know it is that word that we need to rejoice in and to trust. If other things become your trust, you'll be disappointed. It's constantly the reality that if you trust in this or that, you'll be worn out. But this word is sweet and it's good and it's enjoyable. Taste and see. The Lord is good daily let my heart savor every letter. But then it says something that's interesting. It says it in that working it out, then digesting it, that living it out, there's something that becomes sour about it. It turns sour. What you love, non believers, they have a response against you. And that can be very painful. That kingdom message that's so sweet to us becomes sour to them. They reject it. And it's especially painful when it's our children who reject it. They go off the rails and it turns everything sour and hurts inside. Or our parents maybe that would reject that. I remember on two different occasions our dear friend Sam Rotman. He was part of a group of men at Juilliard School of Music in New York City that God brought to Christ, but among them was this Jewish young man named Sam Rotman. And Sam came to know the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that meant for all the rest of his days, his father refused to speak to him. Even when his father was dying in the hospital, Sam tried to go in. But his dad said, no, don't let him in. And he died, not having spoken to his son again. That's something that turns very painfully sour within. It's gut-wrenching. And these are realities that are very real. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks of his own people, in chapter 9 of Romans, that great chapter about the sovereignty of God and the electing love of God, yes, he says those words that really almost are shocking to us, We ask questions, how can this be when Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience, my, uh, conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother's. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. Wow, that drenched him. In the very, he had a that rejection of the gospel was very painful. It hurts deeply, and so the realities that the church experiences persecutions and. And all these things that come upon the rejection of the message, there's a sweet and sour to this wonderful scroll that God has given us. There's good news, a message that is sweet as honey, but at the same time, it is a message that brings judgment upon those who reject it. What is the hope? I believe that God calls us to prayer. Prayer together, to fast from our other things, to pray together. We have this opportunity on Wednesday evening by Zoom. We can join just for an hour to pray together. Other things, yes, may call us away, but come together to pray. Prayer, I believe, is God's way of giving us The dignity of being part of God's work of opening and changing people's hearts. It's an amazing gift from God. So we have just seen briefly the wonderful way in which there's a majesty this messenger has. And there's a message he has. But then let me point you to this last verse that's in the passage. Verse 11 and there's something there, the must of the mighty messenger, and there's something there that I want you to see. Uh, It's uh, interesting how the NIV has, then I was told, and the ESV has, and I was told. Now, I don't find uh, others agreeing with me, so you can mark this down or delete it. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear. But I even went through some 16 commentaries that I had, read through all of them, and I didn't find any of them would agree with me. So probably I'm wrong. But literally what it says here, the New American Standard Bible that our dear friend has back there, reading it, what does it say? It has this, and they said to me, or more literally yet, it would see, and they sang to me to me, something dramatic. And I can't help but be reminded that when we read Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah the great prophet is being recommissioned, there the word comes finally, who will go for us? And isn't it only God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, that commissions us to send the gospel out to the world? Yes, only God can commission us To do that? Who will go for us? The word that's there in the text is that word that is they saying to me and I believe it speaks to something of the plurality of God speaking to us and the urgency that we would hear his voice and be those who see this must. It says that very clearly the, those words there, I let's see, the next page, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. In the original language, we have that little word, it's just the word day, de, D E I, and it means must. It's just a little word. But it has to do with divine compulsion. You remember when Jesus spoke. He said that. When he opened up to them in Luke 24. How all the the prophets spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glory. This must take place. It's that little word. It must be that God will accomplish this. In Jesus the, the Savior. The Messiah. Or when we read Jesus speaking there to To Nicodemus, what does he say? You day, you must be born from above. It's a divine compulsion, a divine necessity that you must prophesy. Now he's not speaking there of being a prophet in the sense of new information, a new revelation, in that sense of that which we would have thinking of the future being told, but we have in prophecy not only foretelling, but also that which we speak of as foretelling. Yes, we are to speak the very word of God. There is an importance to this. God's word is to come to us in foretelling, and we have that responsibility not to write new scripture or somehow or another have future prophecies or say, aha, in as was told us in how so many evangelicals followed, followed along in October of 1994, every all these Christians said he's coming again on this date. He didn't come, and so finally the man who prophesied that said I was wrong. And then he gave a new date, and everybody sent more money to tell out the message. It's this new date. Beware! We don't tell the future. God's Word is what we have now to tell forth with clarity. We have the Great Commission, and the Great Commission, you and I must tell forth Jesus Christ. It's not an option for some and others can opt out. This is to tell forth the gospel message to all the many peoples, languages nations, and even before kings. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I would encourage you as, as Christians to read biographies and autobiographies of missionaries. There's something about putting flesh and blood onto these things. And sometimes there's real blood that is on their lives, that they were true witnesses for the gospel I have two or three biographies here, but from the autobiography of John G. Payton, and uh, it isn't Patton, but it is John G. Payton, a Scotsman of the 19th century, his professors as he had been for 10 years, a missionary in the inner city of Glasgow, his professors said, no, you need to stay here. The work you're doing, you're doing such a great job. But he had a heart to take the gospel to the South Seas, to the islands of New Hebrides. And as some of you would know the story, old Mr. Dixon finally set him down and was going to straighten him out. And Mr. Dixon had these words, a man up in years with great experience. He said, the cannibals, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. John G. Payton says to him, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. The gospel must go to all languages, all peoples, and though we may not be the ones who go forth, we, are better, we better be the ones who are supporting that and praying for that and seeing that take place. And yet I think there's something else here of that forth telling that the gospel has for us as a church as Christians we are those who are surrounded almost right in these days with protest isn't that right protest of every kind every direction it would seem i believe there is a place for us to lift up our voices the evils of our culture are very real we are not to be silent And yet we need to have wisdom in how we lift up our voices. Our nation, we love the United States of America. And yet we know there is in our land right now so much polarization, racism, and all these issues of violence that are very real. Yes, the videos we've seen are brutal. And they cause us a wrenching in our very hearts. What's going on? Horrific moments of brutality. How do we tell forth a message? Because it does have something in the back of it, even the very history of the Civil War and slavery, and some of us who lived through the 60s and early 70s and all that was going on. There's strange dynamics in all this that's happening today. We need wisdom from God how to tell forth the message. Black Lives Matter. Protests. Crowds of people, white and black, evangelicals, joining the protest. And yet, if we look back behind that organization, Black Lives Matter, we have something of an anti-Christian agenda, a pro-homosexuality, in all those aspects of the L, B, G, Q, T. And I've had to write those letters all down to make sure I had them all. And this is a serious situation we're living in. But the worst of that organization that's back behind all that protest that so many have joined with, I say with clarity, I have seen it and studied it, liberation theology. It started in Latin America. And its whole way of changing all of scripture, the exodus, how They were told to get the gold and the silver and all of this. They were to borrow the night before. This is what you're to do today. Rob the the places and take advantage of and all that goes into this kind of liberation theology. They have Jesus Christ as a black revolutionary. It's another gospel. And yes, with care... With wisdom, we need to have the gospel of reality, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the savior sinner who does reconcile people, who does condemn all racism. Lift up our voice? Yes. Let me know just a few things here. There's only one race, the human race. And God has made us all in his image. And any time Christians see it otherwise, with any kind of discrimination and rejection, it's contrary to the word of God. Secondly, all are invited to Christ. Jesus can save anyone. And we need to have that very clear. This last week, I believe it was, I read from a prisoner that I've enjoyed talking to by, by the phone and, and corresponding over the last couple of years. A young man who was placed in the shoe, as he calls it, for three years. And that Bible that was put in there by a guard, and he wouldn't touch it. He was afraid even to look at the thing, even though he lived in this very small space. And finally, after almost a year, he took it and he began to read it. He didn't have anybody to tell him. He read the scriptures, and he became a Christian. And we're talking about a man, a young man, who had been in... He's now been in prison 19 years. Two life sentences without parole. He had to be separated from others because he was trying to stab them and do their them in. All can come to Jesus Christ and be saved and transformed by the gospel... And then, just to remind ourselves that we preach Christ. We preach the one who has come to do that which no one can do. No program, no political party, no new laws. Jesus Christ alone is the one who changes people. In fact, that word that we send forth is, in one sense, he has not come to men wounded people, or to wake up sleepy people, or somehow or another give interest to people who are bored, or to somehow or another make lazy people work. But he has come to raise people from the dead. And we alone have that message that we're to set forth with humility. Arise from the dead is the message of the gospel and then healing comes to the wounded. Reconciliation comes to people. Forgiveness comes to people. Jesus is Lord now. His kingdom and purposes will stand. All the terrorists, all the movements against Christianity, they come and they go. They rise up and everyone starts to follow. And they come down again. Jesus Christ is Lord right now. What if I remember in a day when we thought, oh, what would happen if the Soviet Union put missile bases in Cuba? I remember that in the early 60s. This was the big crisis, almost like life would end. It didn't happen. But think of something else so catastrophic that you'd think, well, the world's over. But you know what? Whatever it is, Jesus Christ and His kingdom is forever. It will never end. And he will overcome. He will build his church. It is forever. If my nation comes to an end that I love very much, his kingdom is forever. If my life is over this afternoon, his kingdom is forever. We have the best of all news. I need to see that majesty of the mighty messenger every morning. I need to have that message for me and my family every morning. And there must be something that's just knocking on my brain. I must. There's something so real. I must tell the gospel to others. How can I not speak of what he has done May I be a truthful witness, martyr, martyrian for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do believe that black lives matter. We believe that black lives in the womb matter. We believe that white lives matter. We believe that billions of people in India and China matter. We pray, O God, that you give for us a church a greater heart than ever before. To see the gospel go to many peoples, to nations and languages, and even kings. Give us courage and wisdom to speak against the evils of our day. But, O Lord, give us humility to do it with the gospel and the majesty of Jesus. It's in his name we ask for your blessing upon us. We need to see him. We need to have a revelation of Jesus Christ in our minds, in our hearts, in our daily lives. Help us to eat the book and have it as sweet as honey and at the same time to live it out even if it turns sour and is difficult at times. Help us to feel his hand upon us. Do not be afraid. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.